This episode of Little Bit of Life podcast is sponsored by Cassandrino's Organic Extra Virgin Olive Oil. It's the perfect choice for anyone looking for a high quality, fresh, organic, extra virgin olive oil. Did you know that olive oil has a shelf life? Have you checked those bottles in your house lately? Their family has been producing it since time in memorial, and you can taste that tradition in every bottle. You won't find a fresher, healthier, or more sustainable option anywhere else. They use only the finest hand-picked olives, pressed with care and without the use of GMOs or pesticides to ensure maximum flavor and great taste. Their olive oil has a balanced yet slightly peppery flavor that will keep your recipes exciting while giving you the peace of mind knowing that no corners have been cut in its production. Plus, they are veteran-owned, woman-owned family business, and they are dedicated to spreading kindness through every bottle they ship out. So spice up your cooking and make sure you order today at www.cassandrinos.com or check out their story on their Instagram at Cassandrinos. Welcome to Little Bit of Life Podcast. I'm your host, Tabitha, better known as Little on social media. A lot of you may know me from social media, but Little is shown off the apps. This podcast is dedicated to having the real, raw, and occasional chats on topics of what we seem to think but don't say. Special guests will join in that have impacted me along the way. Very little is left off limits. Enjoy on your favorite streaming platform, watch live videos of interviews on YouTube, and let's dive into some topics together. Hey guys, I'm super excited to jump into this episode today. I have a very special guest of mine who is also a fellow podcaster, and I'm all about supporting our community. We are not in competition. We are here to cheer each other on. I have Dean Howell on today, and we are going all the way across the world. We are reaching Japan. Dean Howell is a Navy Command Master Chief on active duty, and he's been stationed in Japan for 15 of the last 22 years. But he has more than 22 years of human resources and leadership experience in the Naval Forces, which also brings him to his host of the Rising Sun podcast. It's his podcast about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. He's a girl dad with three daughters, a loyal husband, and a patriot. His mission is to lead as many as possible to reach their fullest potential in this life. From the United States straight over to Japan, let's get started. Hey guys, welcome in another episode, Little Bit of Life podcast with Little. I do a lot of military type topics and I'm always one that helps veterans and supports the military community, but I have a very special guest on with me tonight. Um, We are coming from the United States. I just now moved to Texas and we're coming all the way across the world. We're, We're speaking to somebody that is our special guest tonight in Japan. So to say that podcasters are very much in their own bubble, we're blowing that idea out of the water. We love to support each other. We love to talk to one another and pick each other's brains but also allow you into this life as well. Um, Tonight, I have Dean Howell. He's a Navy commander, master chief on active duty, and he has been stationed in Japan for 15 of the last 22 years. That is incredible. Dean, welcome in. How are you doing? Man, I'm doing fantastic. Uh, So it's little. Is that what everybody calls you? Yeah, yeah. The name kind of stuck for a long time. I'm I'm only 5'3". I've just, I always say after sixth grade, I just, I never grew. It just never happened. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, listen, it's awesome to be here um, to join you. And I don't know, just talk about whatever comes up. I do agree with you that it's fantastic that here I am in Japan. It's my lunchtime, right? So it's 1125 late (laughs) night in Texas over there. And uh, the fact that we're able to get together and just 
talk it out, man. It's, it's really a, an awesome opportunity. So thank you for having me. Yeah. Thanks for coming on. I want to touch base on your podcast, because like I said, in the intro, you run a podcast. We met through the infamous company that I've loved for years, Lions Not Sheep. We are those amazing ambassadors. If you have not checked them out yet, I highly suggest go and get your gear, but tell us a little bit about your podcast, the name of it, what got you started into podcasting while also obviously having this incredible epic job at the same time. Yeah, thanks, Little. So I'll put it to you like this. I was on an unaccompanied tour in Misawa, Japan. And for those that may not understand what an unaccompanied tour is, in the military, sometimes they tell us to go somewhere and they say that our families aren't allowed to go there. So I do have a family, wife, three girls, Maltese. Also, her name's Hime, which means princess in Japanese. (laughs) But I digress. I was on an unaccompanied tour in Misawa, Japan. And Misawa is the snowiest base in all of DOD. We get an absurd amount of snow every year. And um, my my podcast is about a year old. And so in January of 22, it was those long winters and there's a lot of snow outside and I find myself stuck inside. And quite frankly, I had thought about doing it for a long time. And I have some friends that have a podcast. It's named the Permission to Speak Freely podcast. And I thought to myself, you know, I just want to do it And so I looked into the legal things with it because I am in executive leadership in the Navy and my legal advisors were like, yeah, you can go for it. You just have to put a disclaimer at the beginning to make sure everybody understands that any opinions that you express are your own and not those of the U.S. government or or the Department of Defense. And I said, oh, that's it. And so I started it. And initially it was just with my, a lot of my friends, my colleagues, also senior enlisted members of the military because they have really interesting stories and they've mm-hmm. been all over the place. They've done all kinds of cool stuff. And so we started that and I did a lot of in-person there in Misawa where we just sit across my table and, and chop it up. And recently I've kind of branched out a little bit and that was intentional. I took a nice little hiatus, got accustomed to being back home with my family. And when I went back in, I said, okay, let's, let's see what else we can do with this thing. And uh, I've been able to do that. I will say this, though. It's still a labor of love. Um, (laughs) I get paid nothing to do this. And I'm over here trying to rub two pennies together. But I love doing it. Just I love talking to people and finding out their stories and just the interesting things about them. And um, so it's called the Rising Sun Podcast, S-O-N, because I do consider myself a rising sun. And what I mean by that is that I'm just trying to get better every day, just every day, try to get a little better. And of course, there's the play on words with the land of the rising sun that is Japan. Mm-hmm. And um, and so, yeah, it, it makes sense. And I, I love doing it. And, um, you know, I, I think that a few people have heard it and that's great. And if if you haven't, go check it out for sure. So thanks, I love, thanks for uh, asking. Yeah, I love when you and I were kind of talking back and forth and getting this set up, um, what you had sent me, because... I like going into podcasts, especially for those that are listening. Uh, if you've been kind of on this wild journey, wild ride, a um, little bit of life is about to turn a year old in April. Unbelievable to me. Um, when I started this, it was because I am real raw and honest on this. It's because thank you to that lovely app called TikTok that all of us joined and we were all just entranced with it. Um, I didn't like their censorship. I was censored all the time. I was not able to speak my mind. I was not able to support the military community. And that was something that I'm very passionate about and finding you and seeing that you have a podcast while doing it in conjunction with your line of duty 
is something that amazes me because I think a lot of people in the military have this fear of if I speak up, am I going to be retaliated against? If I speak up, you know, is my opinion really going to be heard and listened to? So I think it's amazing that you have a podcast while also remaining active duty and still finding that happy medium. And like you said in your bio, it's a podcast about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That's what we all should be encompassing on the day to day. 100%. And you know, it's very true. I'll take the listeners back. I've been doing this 22 years. And I remember maybe about my five, six year mark in, I thought to myself like, man, and this was a long time ago. I remember feeling, man, my like speech is super suppressed. Mm -hmm. I remember thinking that like, well, I guess the First Amendment doesn't apply to me anymore, right? Mm -hmm. And truly, it doesn't, in a sense. Yep. Um, but I think that's also a misnomer. And if there's any military members listening out there, there are ways to express yourself. And there are ways to participate in society while remaining on active duty. Do you, are, Is there such a thing as good order and discipline? Absolutely. Uh, are you required to follow orders? Absolutely. However... What I've found is that now that I'm 22 years into this thing and I've still got some time left, uh, you know, I'm an E9 and I can go to 30, 32, 34. I doubt that I will, but um, <laughs> I could if I wanted to. And what I've found is that if we as military members are not participating in the dialogue of society, then it's, it's bound for failure. We have a lot of patriots out there with big voices, but... You know, that that one percent that decide decide to serve throughout the services, we have to let our voices be heard. That doesn't have to be protesting. That doesn't have to be all of these type of things. But a podcast is a great option. A sub stack where you write just talking to your friends and not doing it in hushed corners. We have to let our voices be heard. And I think that that's one of the big things is that I wanted to make sure that I was participating in the dialogue of society because I don't like the way that it's going, quite frankly. Mm -hmm. My feeling on it is if you do not actively participate in the dialogue, then the dialogue will be written for you. And it may not be in the way that you would like to be expressed. It's how society and the media and everything that's going on right now in this hectic world, they will write it for you. So I, I always suggest, like you said, you can, if you're not great at speaking, I know so many people that are in the military and they're like, I don't like public speaking or I'm, I'm scared, I'm nervous. Like you said, do a blog, talk to your friends, because I'm very, I'm a huge advocate when it comes to military in conjunction with mental health awareness. It's something I talk about all the time on this podcast. And I feel that suppressing yourself and suppressing your feelings, your emotions, whether it be something that you are you know, passionate about and you're really enjoying your time, or it's something that you feel that you have almost a negative feeling about how your life is going. The way the world is working, let's just be real between, I mean, with listeners and probably you, you're going to agree. The amount of things that are going on in general right now with our society and just our generation, I cannot imagine what the military is going to be looking like in the next 20 to 30 years. That's scary when you sit and think about it like that. Yeah. I'll tell you, man. And, and I think that I have the long view, longer than most, not as long as some, but having 22 years in this organization at this point, I, I feel like I have the long view. And there's a couple of things I want to talk about here. One is that the military has changed in a sense, okay? Lots of great young men and women are signing up every day to serve and protect their country. 100% they are. And we're doing them a disservice by changing what the military stands for. Mm -hmm. The military is supposed to stand for integrity, 
honor, courage, commitment, these highest ideals of society are the things that the military is supposed to hold ourselves to. And I think that we do. But when we become a political organization and more and more over these last 22 years, we've become a political arm of whoever is in power. Well, it's dirty, first of all, because you're using us. That's Mm -hmm. the, that's the big thing. Like for me that I have the long view, you're using us, you're Mm -hmm. using us as a prop. Like, look, I support the military. Do you though? You know? And so that's one thing. And then I think that, um, I agree with you that anytime that somebody suppresses their feelings, their emotions, their thoughts, their ability to express themselves about something that's important to them, it absolutely impacts them negatively with their mental health, with their emotional state, with their motivation for life, because they feel like a fraud when they have to put on a a fake face and not say what's on their mind. They feel like a fraud. And I'll tell you, man, it really is a dangerous place for our military to be in. And I think that's probably a big reason why you see such a high suicide incidence is that maybe people feel like they're not able to express who they truly are Mm -hmm. across the spectrum. Right. Mm -hmm. That's, that's your very conservative leaning folks and also your, your, your others. Right. And I think that both deserve the opportunity to express themselves as long as you know, tomorrow morning, I'm putting on the uniform and I'm going to go, I'm going to go serve my country. Mm -hmm. If we can hold to that value and make that the thing, um, the military is going to be fine. The last thing I'll say about this little is that I, it feels like myself being in it. It feels like the military is, in the eyes of the public is making this slow transition to what you read about in the history books of Vietnam era military. Mm -hmm. And it's a scary thought for somebody like me that has dedicated my life to this thing. The thought that the impression, the trust of the American public in our organization, the thought that that's eroding is terrifying to me because I've devoted my life to this. Mm-hmm. And so um, I just, I just hope that if, if you, if you don't want to blog, you don't want to write a sub stack, you don't want to do a podcast. Um, here's what you can do. You hear something like this, share it. That's what you can do, right? You hear little's podcast and she's talking about military matters. And it's something that resonates with you. Share it, send it to all your friends, ask them to share it. That's what you can do. Right. Mm-hmm. It's getting involved in the community. And it's something where um, I was very active and very much involved in the community on TikTok. I used to go live once, at least once or twice a day, every single day for almost two years straight until I was censored and shut down. And, you know, I just said, you know, what, that's not really my style. I'm still going to come back for more. But it was something I went on and was always live. And it amazed me. I would have up to two, three, four, five hundred people in the first matter of a couple of minutes. And I always talked about the military and mental health awareness. And it was always almost this confusion from those in civilian life of, well, you're in the military, you know, you have all of these assets that are handed to you. You have all of these options and avenues. If you need a doctor, you just go to the VA. If you need mental health, you can just go sign up for something. But I think mental health in general is something that is not talked about. And then when you link it with the military, it's you're weak. You don't know how to do your job. It's something that you are just deteriorated from the inside out. So that's why I do these episodes to talk that mental health, it doesn't make you weak. It doesn't make you less than a person. And especially in the military, it doesn't mean that you cannot hold your position. It just means that, like my hoodie says now, be a nice human. You have to be nice to yourself first in order to be nice to others. And I think that that's the problem with society that we need to kind of huddle and get back to 
that it's okay to break down. It's okay to have those moments where you're just kind of unsure where you fit. And especially with the economy now, no one knows where we fit. We're all just kind of in this hamster wheel thrown together and we're all kind of figuring it out. So. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, there's, there's a couple things here that um, are worth mentioning when, you, when we talk about, you know, mental health. I think that our, our construct of what a community looks like is kind of deteriorating in, in the country. You know, I grew up in small town, Louisiana, about 7,000 people went to church like a good boy, like my parents told me to. And whether or not the, that, um, you know, that, that influence that religion had on me, that, that kind of set that aside. At least I had a community. I had a, I had a church I went to. I had extended family. I was around my cousins and I had people to talk to. And then your typical construct of community is that you grow up somewhere, you go to work somewhere, you have lifelong friends somewhere, you have confidence, you have parents, you have older and brothers, you know, older, you know, brothers and sisters or younger brothers and sisters, cousins. You have these people that are kind of built in to your community. And that's, it's been that way, you know, up to probably 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. And something happened around the time of the internet where we realized we don't have to stay home. We can go anywhere we want to and we mm-hmm. can stay connected. But I think that this lack of community is one of the things that's really contributing to a lot of the mental health issues that we have is because not everything is worthy of going to talk to a doctor about. There are things. There are a lot of things that are worthy of talking to a doctor. There are a lot of things that if you talk to someone like a cousin, a friend, a confidant on a periodic basis, and they help you sort through those things, that they don't become an issue later on, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, the military community, we do have that in a sense, but we're all just kind of transplanted into one place too. And so you have to find out who you trust and you have to find out who you can, you know, confide in and, and talk mm-hmm. about these things. And, um, and certainly we're, we're getting better. I'll say that. But I remember for sure as a young sailor, the stigma was a real thing. If somebody went to talk to mental health, well, I guess we're not going to see them anymore. Yep. Like if you went to, if you went to talk to a doctor about your mental health, you were taken off the ship, who knows, right? We don't mm-hmm. know. We never saw him again kind of thing. Right. And so there was this real fear of how it would impact your career. And it would have, it would have impacted your career. We've made strides, um, especially for our junior enlisted. But if you look at like our senior enlisted and our senior officers, yeah, they're not going to talk to anybody. And that's yeah. one of the most dangerous groups because they've seen the most, they've done the most, but they're not going to talk to anybody. I'll give you an example, Lou, and um, about myself. I did the Navy Wounded Warrior job when I was in Hawaii. I was the regional program director for our Wounded Warriors, our Navy and Coast Guard Wounded Warriors in Hawaii. I remember my first day on the job, I went to the Queens Medical Center, which is downtown Honolulu. There was a BM-1, Coast Guard BM-1, that had fallen from the boat deck on his buoy tender ship 40 feet, hit the pier, bounced off the pier into the water. And when I showed up, day one on the job, showed up, I was a senior chief at the time. Here's BM1. He's intubated. He's got staples from his chest, you know, stem to stern, all the way down. Parents are there. And I remember thinking to myself, okay, so this is what this job is going to be. And it was. And I was there for about four years and somewhere around the two and a half year mark, I noticed how completely calloused I had become. 
where like I was not having an emotional response to these really traumatic things anymore because I had spent every bit of empathy that I had and I was taking it home and I was really in a bad place, but I didn't go talk to mental health on base because I, I, I know where that leads. Mm-hmm. Now we do have this thing called military one source. It's fantastic. You can call them. And I, I've, told, I've told people about this. This isn't a reveal, you know, I call military one source. They'll give you separate from the military. You get to pick your provider and you know, you get 12 free sessions with that, with that provider. And I did it. And, you know, quite frankly, I think I just needed to talk to somebody like just not my wife, not somebody like I need to just tell somebody like, yo, this is mm-hmm. bad. And for them to like, give me some advice, like how <laughs> to work through it. But more than anything, just to sit there and listen, like, yeah, that's pretty fucked up, man. <laughs> you <Yeah>. know, <laughs> right. Um, so there, my point is there are options, but certainly there's, while not as dramatic as it used to be when I was a young sailor, there is still a stigma associated with seeking mental health mm-hmm. treatment in the military for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's it's amazing to me, especially like I said at the beginning with social media and, and you focused on it and, and really pinpointed that we have almost this lack of community, but we also have this lack of knowing how to communicate. And I think that's also a problem with like everything being so available and readily available. If you need a recipe, you click it on Google. If you need a picture, you can find it in two seconds. I mean, as sad as it is, even with dating nowadays, if you find yourself bored, you can swipe and find somebody in two minutes within five miles of your area code. So I feel like almost life is too accessible that it's made us so disconnected. Um, but being with that, and for those that may be listening and haven't traveled, we're going to dive in because, like I said, we are coming from the United States, where I'm at in Texas, mm-hmm. to Japan. What is Japan like for those that have never and probably will never visit? Like, give us the lowdown. Absolutely, man. So uh, it has to start with the fact that I got here in 2001. And so I graduated boot camp from the Navy on September 14th of 2001, just to frame my military experience. So. I show up to Japan at the end of 2001. I picked coming to Japan. I finished top of my class during my, uh, we call it a school in the Navy. So it's kind of like your advanced training before you go to the fleet. And, uh, I picked Japan cause I want, you know what? I joined the Navy. I was 21 when I joined, I'd been in college already and I wanted to see the world, you know, and I get to Japan and I remember we flew into Fukuoka, which is down South. And as when you land, it was just like all of these signs, these neon signs everywhere, and I was like, man, it's like the movies, you know, and it was raining. So like it was reflecting off of the the pavement and stuff, yeah. you know, <laughs> I was like, holy cow, I'm in Japan, you know. And then um, and then my first duty station is this place called Sasebo. And it's a pretty small ish town by Japanese standards. And. Man, let me tell you something. I absolutely love this country. I met my wife in Sasebo on my first tour. That's a whole other story. I'll give you the, I'll give you the brief synopsis. My friends and I were at a Dutch theme park in Sasebo, Japan. And there was a Cuban band playing at the Dutch theme park in Japan. And that's where I met my wife. It was a hot mess. We were drunk, whatever. <laughs> but, uh, so Japan, here's the things that we love about Japan. It's safe. It's incredible incredibly safe. It's probably the safest country in the world. And it's not because of, you know, of over policing or it's not because there's this 
Orwellian state that monitors everything you do. The reason why it's so safe and clean and organized and respectful is because their society believes in being just good people culturally. Mm-hmm. They're not a very religious people. There's not, you know, Catholicism, Christianity, Hindu. There's all, all the religions, right? You have a little bit of everything. Um, but the people just are raised to respect each other. Respect is probably the underlying theme in everything in Japan. Respect and honor. And so you don't want to impose on someone. You don't want to disrespect them. I'll give you an example. You don't talk on your phone in Japan. I mean, it isn't like if you're riding, if you don't talk on your phone on the train, I'm sorry. If you're riding the train, like public transit, if you're, first of all, you should have it on silent. There's even signs that say, please keep your phone on silent. And if your phone rings, you just answer and say, I'll call you back. Because mm-hmm. if you're sitting there talking on your phone, what you're doing is you're imposing on someone else, right? You're imposing on their comfort, their chi, their bubble. And because now they have to listen to your conversation, right? Mm-hmm. And it, 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 it shames them almost. And so this idea of not shaming your neighbors or your uh, fellow citizens is really prevalent in Japanese society. It's great. It's wonderful. The food is delicious because it's all pretty much locally sourced because it's, you know, Japan is about the size of California. Um, you know, the people are super friendly. The festivals are fun. The weather is temperate for the most part, especially where I live now, which is close to Tokyo. It's probably about like Virginia. You know, we get a little bit of sprinkling of snow, but not really. Mm-hmm. It's kind of wet and, and, you know, wet and cold. And then it's like hot and muggy in the summer. But um, it's just a beautiful, beautiful country. The landscape is great. Mountains, big green mountains everywhere. Uh, you can ride the bullet train. You can take, you know, you can take cheap flights to get around and see things. Um, I'll tell you, it's not that crazy expensive to come over here. And if you're thinking of taking a vacation somewhere, especially now that they've opened their borders back up, and I'm not a Japan travel agent, by the way, I'm not getting paid <laughs> to talk about this. I just really love the culture. And I think that I think that for, especially for Americans, which if we were to Google it, some really low percentage of Americans even have a passport, mm-hmm. right? And so they may go to like Mexico, you know, to Cozumel, or they may go to Jamaica if they're really feeling adventurous. But I think that if you have the financial stability to be able to do so, and you're wanting to go somewhere different, Japan is absolutely a fantastic um, destination because it's going to open your eyes to just a different way of of living. Right. Mm -hmm. And hopefully you can kind of take that back to the States. Here's the last thing I'll say about it with that great social responsibility comes all these wonderful things, safe society, clean public transportation, you know, kids can walk down the street and you don't have to worry about any of the crazy shit that we do a lot of times in the States, kidnappings, all that stuff. You don't really worry about that stuff here, but then COVID happened. And I tell people this all the time. Then COVID happened in Japan and in, in its typical form responded quickly, mm-hmm. you know, uh, took all the proper precautions. The, the citizenry were very responsive to all the things that the government had asked them to do because the citizenry trusts the government here as they should, because they have their best interests at heart. But once Japan being so socially responsible, ramped everything up, 
it's real hard to ramp that down, mm-hmm. right? In America, we're like, nope, I'm done. <laughs> yeah. Fuck that. I'm not doing any <laughs> of that shit anymore. You can fuck yourself. Yeah. I'm not wearing a mask. I'm standing right beside this person. I'm going to blow in their fucking face. You can fuck I was yourself, one right? of those. I was one of those people. <laughs> <laughs> right? Hey, and you know what? That's the beautiful thing about America. That's that yeah. beautiful American spirit. Like, fuck COVID. Fuck all you. I mean, and I can say this. My dad is 89 and he died with COVID. I can mm-hmm. say it. I can talk. I can say whatever the fuck I want to about COVID because my dad died with it, right? Mm-hmm. But in Japan, it's like, like in May of this year, finally, uh, the government is going to say officially, which it, which the citizenry is waiting on. Hey guys, you don't have to wear masks. Anymore, I was going right? to ask, are you still like all over wearing masks, like we see in the news of? I mean, I have to laugh at people here when I drive and see somebody like it's my pet peeve now with COVID. Like it drives me insane seeing people driving their cars. You are all by yourself and you're still wearing a mask. What the fuck are you doing? You're by yourself. I'll tell you what it is. They're fucking ugly. (laughs) They don't want to look at themselves in the mirror. That's what it is. So here I, I think that, um, you know, yeah. Most of the Japanese population is still wearing masks. Now, um, pre-COVID, culturally, again, I go back to this kind of socially responsible idea. If I had a sniffle, I had a cold or something, the reason why people wore masks in Japan is if they're like leaking out germs from their nostrils because they have a cold, they would wear a mask. So they're not spreading it, right? And so culturally, it's not a big deal to wear a mask in Japan. It's, 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 it's been part of the culture for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's not like, um, it's not like this huge, you know, pull like it was in the States to get people to wear masks, but they're going to get back to normal. That's almost, that's like the last thing that's not normal. Um, you know, here. And, uh, I heard somebody say about masks. It's like, um, it's like the, uh, at this point in the States, it's kind of like the left's version of like a MAGA hat. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, like it's your, it's the ultimate like left leaning virtue signaling is that I've got a fucking mask on, right? Yes. So ain't nobody <laughs> wearing them in Texas, man. Well, almost nobody in Texas. No, I came here to visit in um, September. I think it was like around mm-hmm. August or September. And it amazed me because in Arizona, like that's when we started peaking with our numbers again. Everyone was full panic mode. I mean, we're talking every single Prius driver that was by themselves <laughs> wearing a mask in the grocery stores. I mean, people would yell at me and my mother, like just at a regular grocery store. of like, you're not wearing a mask. I'm like, I got sick with COVID in 2020. It destroyed my neurosystem. So I'm pretty sure that I took the hit enough that we're good. But when I yeah. came to Texas, I mean, my boyfriend was laughing. I, I'm like, do I, do I need a mask? He's like, you're in Texas. I'm like, you're in fucking Texas. <laughs> what, does that, what does that mean? He's like, we didn't wear masks years ago. We don't give a shit. I'm like, oh, yeah, I could live here. And then seeing all like the flags everywhere. I'm like, yeah, I could live here. Like, I'm at home. Yeah. This is great. Yeah, for sure. Man. Just- I uh, <laughs> I grew up in I grew up in Louisiana, lived in Texas, went to high school and college there. And most of my family is still in Texas. I, that's where I'm when it's all said and done. And I'm done with this Navy thing. Um, it's, it's back to Texas for sure. I fucking love that place. Mm -hmm. So I just, it's amazing to drive. I mean, my mom just left. She came here to visit the very first time. I think her entire phone camera roll was just filled with American flags and Texas flags. I'm like, there's another one. There's another one. I'm like, this is fantastic. It's the only, but the only downside is Texas is such a big 
state. I have so many friends that live here and they're like, come visit. And so I'm like, great. Where do you live? Oh, five and a half hours, seven hours, nine hours. I'm like, oh my God. Like I used to live in Hawaii. I mean, I could literally do that whole loop of Oahu in maybe, you know, half a day. And here I'm like, oh my God, it takes me half a day just to like make a little tiny, like quarter of an inch on the little Apple map. Mm -hmm. I'm like, God, this state is huge. It's incredible to me. I'm curious. So you, when did you live in Hawaii? Um, I was 25. So it's been about 12 years now. I lived on Oahu. I lived in Hawaii Kai and lived there for quite a while and saw nice. everything. Hickam Air Force Base. The food was incredible. And the yeah. Islanders. So, oh no. oh, so amazing. I'm, I'm getting ready to yeah. do a, a two part series coming up about the Red Hill um, jet mm-hmm. fuel leak. So we're getting ready to do that coming up. It's awesome. It's something that's pretty um Pretty interesting to me that the government is very lax on talking about it. Um, government officials, we'll, yeah. we'll dive into that with the major. We just did it yesterday, but she talks mm-hmm. about how government officials have come in and they're not meeting with families that are affected. Mm-hmm. And it's not just military yeah. families; it's also locals. Yeah, so, yeah, it's yeah. I've, I, uh, I've got a, I've got some experience with that thing. Um, I've toured it. I've been inside of it um, mm-hmm. a couple times, and it's uh, a. I'll say this: it's a freaking marvel of uh modern engineering um mm-hmm. i don't know if you know any of the background so like they essentially built that thing in secret in a mountain mm-hmm. during world war ii and basically the residents didn't even know that it, like nobody knew it was there until like the 80s yeah like it was like a like and, and still it's a secure location right so and then with the whole, I mean, you got to think this thing was built in the forties. Um, there's just a lot of history there, man, between, um, the military, the water board in, in uh, Honolulu, Tulsi Gabbard has been involved with this the whole time when she was a representative and even as a state representative. So, um, it's, you know, I'll just say, um, that it was probably inevitable that mm-hmm. it was going to happen because it was just so old. Yeah. Um, but it is a very, very important part of our kind of strategic uh, mission out there. So mm-hmm. it'll be interesting to see how the, you know, the military recovers from that. And, and, and unfortunately it certainly did affect a lot of people by getting into those water tables and, you know, having lived there, how critical those reservoirs are for the people that live on Oahu. I mean, without that, the place place goes dry right it's a ghost mm-hmm. town without mm-hmm. those um without those water reservoirs so anyways yeah i'll, I'll be interested to, to 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 hear your episodes on that that'll be yeah. good man yeah first one is uh with a major in the navy um her family was highly affected she has two children oh, no. um and her husband um he's still trying to get into the mayo clinic just to get answers and then the part two oh. is uh i actually landed the her name is Christina. She's actually the attorney that is representing all of the families. And she Holy was the cow. one that chose to take them pro bono and go up, so to speak, against, I hate saying against the military, but it's, I mean, it's obviously well, what it is. It is what it is. Yeah. Um, but so from one podcaster to another, everyone always asks me, how did you get into this? Like, how do you find your content? Because even today, somebody just asked like, hey, you're kind of all over the place. I'm like, yeah, that's what it is. A little bit of life. We talk about a little bit of everything. Um, right. 
I have Jeffrey Dahmer's defense attorney. She's coming on to speak. Um, I have Audrey Hepburn's son coming on to speak. I saw that, man. That looks so cool. And then I go from that to like military and like true crime. So how (laughs) did you start? Like with me, I just, everyone like, how do I do it? I just wing it. So as a podcaster, how did you kind of get that, that initiative to get going and get started Mm. with yours? Well, I think that a lot of times you wrap your head around the axle about, oh, well, I need this great microphone and I need the lighting just right. And I, and I need X, Y, and Z and I need sponsors and I need this and I need that. And what I'll tell you, man, what you need is an iPhone and a stable internet connection. If mm-hmm. you want to start a podcast, that's what you need. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that for me, it just became a matter of, I'm just going to fucking do this. Like, stop making excuses. You've got an interesting story yourself. This is me talking to myself. (laughs) Um, And also, I know a lot of cool fucking people, Mm -hmm. you know, in the military, outside of the military. And at the end of the day, I'm just really fucking curious, man. Like, I want to talk to people, Mm -hmm. you know, like, I want to know their story. I want to know what happened. I want to know how they got there. I want to know where they started, where they're at, where they're going. And And like... For me, it's all about curiosity. It's all about having engaging conversations. It's about networking. It's about meeting new people. And you know what? That is the important thing of life. The important thing of life is who you know. Not like who you know, but who you know so that Mm -hmm. you expand and you improve and you grow and you you gain more opportunity. And and so for me, I think that you just got to start if it's something that you're interested in. I'm not telling everybody to start a podcast because guess what? It's not for everybody. Okay. (laughs) But if, if you are interested in it and you have a voice and you have ideas and you know, people that their story would interest other people, fuck it, man, go for it. Right. That's Mm -hmm. That's kind of my, my philosophy. And then as far as like, you know, guests, like I said, you know, they're going to come, they're going to come. And I even had a friend kind of same thing as you, He's my boy. Actually, it's Matt Frugier. It's the one I just did. Entrepreneur, CEO, really coming into his own. We've been partners on a couple different things, and I've been a friend. Like We joined the Navy and went to the buddy program together kind of thing, right? Like That's, that's my dog, right? Mm-hmm. But he was like, bro, you really got to get it together. Like, you got to, you know, it needs to be about something. And like, you know, otherwise it's just white noise and it's like all over the place. And like, I have a hard time listening. I was like, bro, that's how your brain works. Some people get on a treadmill and they just want to hear people talk shit, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so like I'm trying I'm trying to listen because I love him and he I, and he's got a very you know he's, he's got a great mind for business, but like the soft touch, right? Like the people thing. Like bro, you just got to trust me on this. Like mm-hmm. it may take 20 minutes to find a nugget of information that's going to be important to you, but it's going to be fun on the way to finding that thing, right? And so mm-hmm. I don't know, man. I I just really enjoy doing it. I think that um you know as we grow, we'll get more guests. Um, you know, I had Hannah Eden on, which was awesome. She was fantastic. And then, you know, she hooked me up with Matt Vincent, who I'm going to have on soon, uh, who was the Highlands uh, Games world champion. And now he runs, you know, a mastermind and has his own company and super stoked to talk to him. And, you know, hopefully this, it just keeps, you know, that's the way it works, right? It's like snowball. It just keeps rolling. It just keeps rolling. And what I tell people is like my vision for the rising sun podcast is to be like 
the respectable version of the full send, right? Like, <laughs> you know, like full send, like those guys are great and it's super entertaining, but they're fucking mm-hmm. knuckleheads, you know? Yep. Yep. Um, and, and so like, I, I don't want to be that, but I want to have the same type of interesting guests on mm-hmm. and, um, you know, nothing would make me happier than be like, wait, fucking Mike Rashid was on the rising sun podcast. <laughs> Who, what the fuck is the rising sun podcast? You know, yep. like that's where I want to get to. And, um, I don't know, man, it's just fun. It's fun. I get to talk to great people like you and, uh, and, and anybody else that wants to come on. So, um, no, I, I appreciate, uh, the question and mm-hmm. I fucking love it, man. It's just fun. That's the yeah. bottom line. It's fun. You know, I always tell people there's no perfection and there's no rule book to podcasting. If you're passionate about something, you like a topic. I always tell people it is your platform. It is your show. And you're able to do what makes you happy because we we're not guaranteed tomorrow. We're not promised tomorrow. And like he said, it is fun. It's not something that is to just rip the heart and soul out of your every day. It's something that you're able to sit down and like this, we're able to just chit chat. None of my podcast episodes have any form of like, direction. Yeah. <laughs> we just go in and, and talk. And that's the good part is in with the economy and with society and with the lack of community. If this is something you're passionate about, because I know there's I know there's somebody listening right now and I'm not going to call her out, but she's going to hear this and be like, that's me. And I'm going to get an Instagram message tomorrow. I'll be like, you were talking about me, but she knows who she is. She's been sitting on trying to do a podcast for, I can't even tell you how long she was just like mm-hmm. me of, I don't know. I want to. Now she's sending cover art. Like, what do you think? And I'm like, if you love it, it's fantastic. If it yeah. speaks to you, that's it. But like he said, you don't need a super fancy mic. You don't need all the lighting. Just sit down and just wing it. My very first episode, I was like, all right, well, today we're just going to try this. And I would say it's great. And that's kind of unfortunate because it took off. And I was like, oh, shit. Now I have to like keep this going? Like, yeah. oh, no. Okay, here yeah. we go. And now we are here <laughs> almost a year later. It's crazy. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Yeah. I, I, um, I, I, like I said, I do my homework before I come onto these things, even as a guest. Um, and I, I listened to several of your episodes and you definitely have kind of, um, this inquisitive nature. You've got a zest for life. You, um, are really broad in your perspectives and your interest. And mm-hmm. I think that's the perfect kind of combo for somebody that wants to, to be a podcaster and, you know, we all look at, 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 you know, the Godfather Rogan, right? Mm-hmm. Well, there's a reason why he's fucking successful. It's because he's just curious, man. Yeah. He, listen, he's just a dude like the rest of us. Right. And he's curious and he's, he's positioned into this wonderful platform. And I think that that's a good example. We can't look, we're not all going to be that. And none of us, a lot of us don't want to be, mm-hmm. but certainly it can serve as, as an example for, getting ideas into the open. Yeah. Right. And I think that that's probably the biggest thing about podcasts is that it's this flood of ideas and they don't have to match. They don't have to be uniform. There's one way that I feel about this and I may not like this. And, you know, you and I probably are very similar in a lot of regards, but there's probably some things where we're not going to see eye to eye. Mm -hmm. And this, this idea that we're flooding you know, the narrative or flooding society with ideas is the most valuable thing because somebody that hears this might think to themselves like, shit, man, I thought I was the only one that thought that way, Yeah, but I'm not. And if I'm not, then there must be a bunch of other people that think this way. And that's powerful. Right. Mm-hmm. And so 
I hope that um, I hope that more people will start to contribute, right? Whether it's in the form of a podcast or um, like like we said before, you know, a blog, uh, whatever it is, right? A Facebook post, going to your community center, right? Going to your school board. Um, I mean, shit, man, vote, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like the more people that that use their voice the better it is for all of us because they're just ideas, man. And ideas yeah. are good for society, you know? Yep. So. I always say, keep the creativity alive in your brain. And when it comes to the things that we need to give a shit, it's really time for us to step up and actually get this moving. Um, yeah. I really appreciate having you, you coming on. I'm, I really appreciate your time. I wanted to do this because I feel like when I first started podcasting, everything in life almost now feels like a competition. It's all based on mm-hmm. numbers. It's based on views. Yeah. It's based... That is not what podcasting is. Podcasting is based on networking, intertwining, because we all are going to talk about similar topics, but as a podcast host, you will never have the exact same topic and have the exact same episode go exactly the same. It's never going to happen. So I wanted to do this to reflect this to anyone listening. Like he said, if you are passionate about it and it's something that you love to do, there is no competition. This is truly a supportive community and it's something that just dive in. It's like learning to ride a bike. You're going to fall off. It's not going to be perfect. But when you get to the end, you realize like, wow, I enjoy doing this. I love doing this. And then you realize you've made incredible friends from all around the world. It's possible. Just take that one step. And it's also the same that goes in conjunction with mental health. Just take that one step. Talk to some of your community, get yourself out there, think outside the box. Trust me, it's very scary. Uh, I have anxiety. I have dealt with depression and and feeling almost being raised to be in this box of picture perfect. Just bust open the box, step out and take that first step because that's exactly what it's going to take. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Little Bit of Life. Don't forget to rate, review, and follow today's episode on your favorite listening platform and share these stories to more that need to be in the know. Get in on the action with the podcast Facebook and follow the little adventures on Instagram at little cute one AZ. I'll catch you on the next episode.